Hey everyone, thank you all so much for your patience. My life has been a whirlwind, but I'm very, very excited to bring you the first half of this episode. The second half is forthcoming. This episode is a very big deal and is being brought to you in partnership with the local music show, a radio program that has been running for at least 15 years and which airs on WCBN FM Ann Arbor, that's 88.3 FM. WCBN FM Ann Arbor is a student and community-run radio station in Ann Arbor. This episode features the first interview with Lee Osler in decades. Lee Osler is a musician who has lived in Ypsilanti almost his whole life since he was two years old and is most well-known for his 1983 local hit, Back to Ypsilanti, released on his own label, Mustache Records. He started singing in fifth grade and has performed in parades, auditoriums, festivals, and cabarets. In this first half, we'll be learning about his childhood growing up in Ypsilanti, his early life in music in schools and in earlier music groups, such as the Soulful Soulmates, Masterpiece, and the Three Masters of Soul. We'll learn about the local music scene when Mr. Osler was in his teens and 20s, the beginnings of the legendary Black Arts Festival, and the state of downtown Ypsilanti in the early 1980s. Thank you for listening. I promise this episode was worth the wait. Do we still want it to be recording, or should we just... We, we could stop. I guess is there... Do you, do you think... We got a lot of stuff. Well, right. I was going to yeah. say one more yeah, thing. Yes, what, what oh, else do you want? I'm sorry, I thought we were done. No, I was yeah, going to no, do gonna one edit thing. It. We're going to edit it, yeah. My call, and you'll have it on the on the thing. It's a landia. Here I come. Here I come. It's a landia. I mean, that was my call when I say, yeah. here I come. Yeah. So. yeah. Okay, now you got it. Okay, thanks. <laughs> that was, That's the opening that, of the episode. That, <laughs> that was amazing. That. Thank okay. you so much. You you ever, you, you know, obviously, like I said, I like the record. I never heard you sing in person. That was amazing. Oh, wow. That was singing? I was hollering. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hi there, my name is Shoshana, and I'm a librarian at the Ypsilanti District Library. Welcome to the library's podcast, Ipsy Stories. Ipsy Stories is a podcast about the history of Ypsilanti, told in story form by historians, academics, community members, and local experts. This podcast seeks to unearth stories and perspectives that may be new to you and are often unheard. Our hope is that by listening to these episodes, you'll gain better understanding of our collective past, present, and future. The views expressed by each guest are their own and do not represent the views of the library. This episode was special not only in terms of its guest, but in many other aspects as well. First of all, through our partnership with a local music show on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, we were able to borrow Shelley Salant, longtime host of the local music show, 
Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti, Detroit, music scene stalwart, and music interviewer extraordinaire, both on the local music show, as well as in publications including the Detroit Metro Times. Our recording space, Ziggy's, a music venue in downtown Ypsilanti, was lent to us by David Jeffries. The expert engineering was done by Ypsilanti District Library paraprofessional Scott Marlowe. And you will also hear Mr. Osler's son, Washington Osler, in this episode. Testing one, two, test. <laughs> I'm used to that one. <laughs> Welcome to Ipsy Stories. We are very excited to be here with Lee Osler, the artist behind the iconic song, Back to Ypsilanti. And we are here in Ziggy's in beautiful downtown Ypsilanti. And we are here with Lee Osler and his son, Washington Osler, and Shoshana Wechter. I'm, I'm here too. The host of Ipsy Stories. My name is Shelly Salant. I am the host of the local music show on WCVN FM in Ann Arbor for about 10 years where we are celebrating local music of the past, present, and future. And we're big fans of the Back to Ypsilanti song. So we're very excited to meet the man himself. <laughs> so, you know, the song is very beloved. It's iconic. A lot of people love the song, but we don't know anything about how it came to be okay. or about you as a person. So we just we just want to learn more about that. Okay. So I guess to start starting at the beginning, were you born in Ypsilanti? No. I came to Ypsilanti when I was two. I was born in Champaign, Illinois. Okay. And uh, my mom uh, separated from my dad and we moved to Ypsilanti where her parents were. Okay. They yep. came up from the south. They used to live in Kentucky, and they came up here, you know, from the for the jobs that they were offered to the plants, you yep. know, from the plants of Ford and GM. I've been here since I was two. Used to live in on Armstrong. I remember over there, right near the Park Ridge Center, basically up a little bit, but across the street from the Housing Commission. And I remember holding on to the little banister. It was big then, you know, but I come up to it, I say, okay, you know, sizing it up and stuff. But they done changed things since they put the new housing projects up now. They're fabulous. But they're, back in the day, they had those old ones, you know, there was, I think they were built in either late 40s or early 50s. And um, I went through the Ypsilanti public schools throughout my life, uh, Chapel, Ernest H. Chapel Elementary School in Wallace and from kindergarten all the way up to six and went to west junior high at that time but west middle school and after that went to Ypsilanti high school and after that that's how i met this lady when i was in adult ed i went to the adult ed because i told you briefly before we started talking that i quit in my senior year so i never got my high school diploma until 10 years later going back to the adult education program at Ips- Ipsy High. And I met this lady, a uh, white lady, Jackie Ehlers uh, was her name. She was a teacher of three of my classes, uh, drama, music, and art. No, no, not art, I'm sorry. Drama, music, and she had a program that she did videos. She called it 
something about standard television speech or something that you okay. turn on and turn off, you know, when you're in the public and when you're in your, with your peers, you talk different than when you, right. I had a problem talking. I mean, I sing, but I was kind of, it's different talking than singing. Yeah. A lot of times I used to talk real fast to hurry up and get it over with. And then she used to always remind me and then she showed me on the video you know, myself while I'm talking and I see how fast I am, then I had to see how I had to slow down and all this kind of stuff. So before we started the interview, you mentioned that you had a principal in fifth grade. That... Yeah, his name was Mr. Eaton, George Eaton. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I got a few paddlings. I used to get paddled all the time. Oh, excuse me, I'm going off the thing again. So, So you're saying he... He helped you realize No, that. he's the one that made, the one that helped me was my fifth grade teacher. Oh, okay. His name is Marvin McKinney. He had this, like, competition with the other, it was three fifth grades at chapel school. And he was the one that our class was competing with the other two classes, uh, who going to have the best Christmas song. They had a big Christmas thing at chapel school that year. And... um I was I, I was like a class clown. I'm always trying to get attention. I got the comb raking up against the desk while he trying to read a story and slam. Suddenly the desk is slammed almost on my hand because he catches me and I'm you know I'm over here talking to these other guys. Yeah. But anyway, one day we were rehearsing for this thing, for this Christmas concert, and these girls that were sopranos. And um, we were singing this song, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. Mm-hmm. And it was a nice song, but the girls were real weak. You know, Gloria, yeah. you know, that, yeah. they supposed to be up there, right? And he got the record on, he had this big album, 33, mm-hmm. and he put it on with this choir and wanted us to hear what the song sounded like before we get our piano player. And the girls are real piffy. And I said something about, y'all can't do that. You know, I can do it and I'm a guy. Yeah. You know, that same sound. And so he, hey, you come with them. He put me with the Sopranos and wanted me to sing out. I want you to do just what you did over there with them, you know. Yeah. And I started singing this little thing with the the sopranos, the Gloria, Gloria, yeah. you know, yeah. this kind of thing. And that you know, um, he gave me a part on the song, Angels We Have Heard on High, all this yeah. kind of thing. And then, Gloria, you know, yeah. I don't want to do all that, but it stood out. And it it made the sopranos sound, I, I had more of a natural, kind of like a Michael Jackson kind of voice okay. when I was young. You know, like, yeah. you ever see these little boys, they have a boys' choir, and they got these natural high tones, you know, not false, but natural. And yep. at that time, it was very strong. So he put me with the girls, and I did it. And afterwards, I remember the concert, you know how uh, it was in the chapel gym, because they had stages back mm-hmm. in those days mm-hmm. uh, in the gym. And uh, we'd all line up, and people would go by, shaking your hand, and... That's when the principal came to me. He said, son, you have really got a fine voice like that. I'm like, wow, the principal said it, and I just got a squat, you know, this kind of thing. 
but then this little girl come up. My mama said you can sing. Oh, you know, so I'm getting attention. All right. You know, I mean, well, okay, because I defunct and everything else, yeah. uh, baseball, football, whatever. But I found out music and art because my teacher, Marvin McKinney, he also had, we did our own stage whenever we did, uh, like we did little plays like uh, My Fair Lady, mm-hmm. which was a big production when you're doing fifth grade. Yeah, that is a big production. And we all dancing around. I could have danced all night, you yeah. know, this kind of thing. And. We did, I don't know if you ever heard this play called The Last Leaf. I don't know that one. Okay. Anyway, we did about two or three productions. Plus, there was a drill team that he tried. See, this teacher really sparked something in me. He was a, um, his first year coming out of college, we was his first class. Wow. He was 22. Got to remember him telling us. Yeah. Marvin H. McKinney. And he said, um, because he met my mom, because he's always had to talk to my mom about, me and my I ain't gonna say I wasn't bad just cracking jokes or something all the time anyway I ended yeah. up going to U of M with him they wanted to do a study with on me at U of M when I was in the fifth grade where they did a lot of videoing and mm-hmm. asking me questions and all these kind of things and he was more like a father figure but like a big brother mm-hmm kind of thing and he used to take me uh, different places and show me I became the um, drill team captain okay and he was the one that sponsored the drill team but you had to drill you had to know the drills and and you did it in front of all the rest of them and so when I saw my name I couldn't believe I was number one I was captain and Grady was second lieutenant but the song came about at the time, you know, being a songwriter and I was in a group. Well, I was in a lot of groups at that time. I started in the sixth going into the seventh grade to middle school, the junior high, uh, West Junior High. That uh, I met some guys over the summer. One of my friends that lived around the circle from me, I lived on Ainsworth Circle. I was brought up there. His name was Cedric Williams. He came to my house and he... Me and him was in the same grade uh, at chapel, and he was telling me he had met this guy from Perry School, L.C. Perry School at the time. His child development now has changed, but um, and asked me if I wanted to get in this group. I had my friend with me. We always were together all the time. My buddy lived down the street from me. His name was Grady Rice. He had a guitar with him, a hollow body guitar and uh, a notebook full of songs and I guess he's trying to impress me because I didn't know him he didn't know me but we were all same age and come to find out his birthday was two days before mine oh wow and me and Cedric's was on the same day so we had a lot of Sagittarius guys in the band even in the band nice you know, the singers it was like three or four Pam was a Sagittarius and then Mark and Kenny, it was a bunch of them, you know what I mean? But it's crazy how it turned out like that. And the education system, even though I didn't go to Perry School, a lot of those went to Perry School. I went to Chapel. Mm-hmm. There's the dividing line, whereas the school that I went to, Chapel, was uh, maybe, I'd say, 70% white and 30% black. Oh, okay. And Perry was like 99.9 black and percent yeah. white or something like that. I hear stories about Perry School, this and that, or 
what's going on because I, w- I was supposed to not go across Harriet Street. My mom used to always be, stay away from there. There's always something going on. You know, didn't want me to get caught up in it. And, but anyway, as I got older, I uh, got with those guys I was telling you about, mm-hmm. and soulmates, and my friend Grady, I told him, I said, uh, I asked him, I said, you want to be in it? You know, when you got your buddy with you, it seemed like you guys, I'm not going to get rid of you just because I'm doing this. You know, yeah. we're going to try to get you in here. I thought everybody saw him. You know, I said, yeah. Come to find out Grady was tone deaf. Oh, wow. But, uh, <laughs> so so for, for yourself, be, so you're talking about when you were like in junior high, right? Yeah. So were you already singing and playing music before that? Well, no, not really. The only singing I did was put on 45s. You know, back in the day, they had yeah. a whole bunch of 45 yeah. labels. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I, I was a big fan of the Motown sound. Yeah. Being especially that it was close to here, Detroit. Yeah. And they promoted Motown all the time. And uh, I used to listen to the radio station, CKLW. And right they on. played top 40s. And I went to bed with that you know, radio, and so I got all this in my subliminal, all these chord progressions that I'm yeah. hearing, black or white or whatever, because yeah. it shows up in my music later on. WCHB was out of Inkster, and it was a black station. I'd listen to that, and I'd hear the Temptations all the time, and this one guy had a voice, Eddie Kendricks, he is the falsetto tenor with the high voice, and I started mimicking him because I liked that voice, and it was more in my style, and so I got more involved in that kind of sound and I kept on singing it and singing it and singing it and as you know every time we did a temptation song his parts were my parts yeah the background parts and stuff like that but um to make a long story short on that end as I got older I got with just soulmates but after we broke up and I went with the masterpiece it was another group that half of us went here and Mm -hmm. the other half stayed there and they were going to keep the soulmate name because this guy is the one that brought the name to the group. Okay. The masterpiece, I don't know if you're familiar with Johnny Lawrence. and the soulmates and masterpiece and he also me and johnny was close at the time we also did art together because he was he did a lot of charcoal pastel stuff and i liked it too but it was too messy i didn't like the 
it all yeah, it does get. Arm. I've only done it a couple <laughs> times in like art class. It does get all over Smeary your like, and all that. Right. What's going on? So I didn't care for that, but it, I don't see how he did it because he always kept his nice and neat. But maybe I'm just uh, one of those guys that was always trying to do things fast, and that might be the reason why. But I just didn't, never liked it because always smearing. Yeah. When you started doing the Soulmates, were you guys writing songs or doing no, covers? No, uh, the mostly? only one that was writing songs was Keith Boone, the one that started the group. Okay. Uh, I was more of a background guy at that time. I learned a lot of... Um, Learned a lot of songs. Back in those days, there were so many 45s that, I mean, not just 45, but different labels. Right. Not everybody had a label. It was so many yeah, speci- labels. Especially around Detroit. Cause yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I work at, I've worked at record stores around here for a long time, so it seems like when Motown happened, everyone was like, I'm going to start a label too. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. a lot of the music is just as good as Motown. Yeah, well, Motown was different. Yeah. That's what I'd say about it. And I guess it was something that happened because of racial barriers. You know, they other people couldn't get in the door with other big record companies because it was a color barrier yeah. thing. And a lot of us, um, we grew up, like I was a kid. Growing up, watching Martin Luther King them marching on, on the black and white TV. You know, we didn't have color back in those days. We didn't have color, I think, to the 70s, I think. That was an experience. But the Soulmates, to get back on track, yeah. the Soulmates, actually the name was Soulful Soulmates. Because Good name. I'm just trying to make sure I get it right. Yeah. Because uh, the Soulmates already, there was already, we found there was already a group out of Ohio, I believe it was, Al Hudson and Soulmates. Oh, okay. So Keith got that. You know, I said, man, you'd be taking other people's stuff. But, yeah. you know, we didn't know. But we couldn't use a name unless we added something to it. Yeah. And so the Soulful Soulmates is what we became. After the Soulmates and Masterpiece and then Three Masters of Soul. Another thing I wanted to ask you about mm-hmm. is just what was what was the music scene like when you were coming up at oh, Ipsy? Oh, man, it was exciting. It was more like... Um, Everybody had a group. I mean, you know, when I was a teenager, you didn't meet too many people that, even the guys you didn't think, they got one too. Oh, what's the name of your group? You know what I mean? And they were serious. People, I mean, uh, I could name off so many groups like the Explosions, the Dynamic Four. Oh boy, it's so many. I mean, right now when I'm thinking about the names, where are they at? I don't know, probably because I'm putting on the spot. But yeah. when I was a teenager coming up, everybody had a group. But they was always, like, they practiced at Park Ridge Center or at home or, you know, they're performing in the Black Festival. But, see, Perry School was a big thing at that time, too, where we all, Perry School used to be open, whereas uh, we'd have stage at the Perry School. Oh, okay. You know, there had a lot of parties there, and we didn't start using Park Ridge until later, because when I earlier in my teens, it was Perry School. We even practiced a lot at Perry School. And then you'd perform there. Right. So I was asking about the music scene mm-hmm. when, you, when you're coming up, and you mentioned that you got the bus at some point. Were you performing, like, in Detroit and around? 
Oh yeah, we all did a lot of uh, like we performed a lot of Indiana, in Detroit, Jackson. It seemed like we were always in the Midwest most of the time. And how did you set those shows up? What do you mean? Like, how did you get the gigs? Oh well, was that they the manager? Called, we had a manager, and a lot of times we had so many shows that I couldn't stand every weekend because I don't get a chance to do nothing but go on this show. Yeah, because you're working right too, All right? And you time. had and you had kids. No, at, at that no, time that was I had no kids. kids. Okay. But I'm just saying that I can't even be with my girlfriend because they always got this going on. And she, I've seen that show already. You know, we yeah. did that same show about 50, 11 times. And the people over there never heard it. So yeah. it was new to them. But, when you know, we, we had a time when we'd run maybe a, a show, maybe three 45-minute sets of shows and then we redo it again every three months yeah of new songs you know this kind of thing so it was a little hard but when you're young like that you got all this energy you know it don't seem hard yeah you know i'm thinking how did i do all that all that moving around i mean i know i was sweating all the time i try to do that now i probably have a heart attack but i'm yeah. just saying all that energy where that energy come from you know I, my shirt was always soaking wet yeah because it seems like whenever I see videos of groups from that era, you had to do dance moves mm-hmm. too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, to keep keep it live. You know, yeah. you can, unless, huh? Uh, did you have somebody that, uh, like, created the choreography for you? Oh, we did it ourselves. Oh, okay. Yeah, we had some that were better at it, but then you might have just one guy to add just one little thing in it. Hey, I like that, you know what I mean? But that's how we worked. You yeah, know, we, we had we we were always together. Even when we walked home from school, from middle I remember middle school coming from West, we had a crowd behind us because we still singing all the way wow. home, walking slow. We were that's we was like frat brothers. Yeah, in middle school, you know, and we had our little clan that always followed us on the way home, singing while we uh, practicing and. We go home, and then we have step practice and stuff like that, you know. And at that time, I still had to stay in the yard. But I couldn't wait till Mama fall asleep because I'm out of here. And sometimes I got a whooping <laughs> because I snuck out the yard. Yeah. You know, this kind of, I'm going to get a whooping this day because I'm getting out this yard. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> did, you, did, you, did people come into the yard to watch you guys practice and stuff? Well, yeah, when I when I had my own yard. Yeah. Not in my, oh, well, okay. in the backyard, not, not too much when I was young coming up because it was just me and the hollow body guitar with a couple other guys. Yeah. And we'd probably tell them to scram, get out of here. Yeah. You know, what do you want? You know, this kind of thing, you know, our kids or some, my sister or something getting in our way. But other than that, I mean, it was so exciting on the South side at that time coming up, at least in our world. I remember I was like nine or 10 years old going to a guy, guy's house to get my hair cut. His name was Mr. Peterson. You know Ronnie Peterson? I yeah. Know. His father. Oh. He's, a, he's a state. House state. Oh, yeah. State, state representative. His yeah. father was the, the barber man, right? And uh, we went to his house. And uh, me and my friend Grady, because that was his connect. Every time Grady got his hair cut, I had to get mine cut. Like, go with Grady. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to get my hair cut. <laughs> I couldn't stand getting my hair cut. But anyway, there was a guy that came in 
he was older than us, like maybe he had to be in his, I was like nine or 10, this guy had to be at least a senior or out of school, but he had a book and he called himself a songwriter. And I'm going, wow, you know what I mean? I was just like nine or 10. Yeah. And his name was Alfonso Massey, but his singing stage was Al Love. And he did a lot of James Brown stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, all that kind of stuff with the yeah. He had the pompadour hair yeah. and all that kind of stuff. He even looked like James Brown a little bit. Did all them dances. But he was a pioneer before me, you know, as far as Ipsy Southside music concerned. Yeah. Bill Brooks and his trio, they were my mama's age, you know, but I know his kids. And I remember going to their house and watching his father and them practice and stuff like that. Yeah. Being in the way as I come through there. But there was so many, like I said, there's a lot of history music-wise around here that people don't know about unless it's being told. You know, right. This kind of thing. So that's that's why we're happy okay. to be asking you about this. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about the Black Arts Festival? Well, the Black Arts Festival started actually with me. <laughs> it's crazy. What happened is that I was 15 years old. I was in the Soulmates, mm-hmm. and we just made a name for ourselves down in Detroit at the Fox Theater by winning that contest down there. Oh wow! They had a Charmin bathroom tissue, and WCHB had this big thing down there there were groups I remember the first year we went down there we didn't make it in Detroit mm-hmm. we were basically a lot of us was being in, intimidated by the other groups because they had you standing in line down Woodward Street wow and it's a long line of people I mean you can hear them in line practicing you know guys with the do rags on do up do up or whatever they're doing you know we young huh? yeah you know, I'm like, wow, Detroit, you know, I'm used to Andy and Opie. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but we didn't make it the first year, but then we did our homework and decided what we got to do to make it. That was our main thing, working for the next year to try to go down there and win that contest. And we did. Wow. But I didn't think we was going to win because we had did our performance and the guys I thought that was the best was these guys from Detroit called the Five Masters. And they were dynamite to me. But they were out of Detroit. Al Green was doing his hit, Can't Get Next to You. Jackie Moore, Precious Precious, the chairman of the board, gave me just a little more time. All these people were on stage. That's crazy. And Al Green, like, he's in an elevator with us, right? And I'm a young dude. He's, he's on the same floor that we are as far as our dressing rooms. So yeah. We cross paths with him. But these guys are so professional that they're above you. You know what I mean? It's like they see you, but they don't see you. Yeah. You know, you just a speck on the wall or whatever. You know, they don't, their attitude is flighty. You know, like, I'm El Green, you know. <laughs> Who are you little kids? You know, this kind of thing. But um, So you won the contest. Well, we had thought we lost because they named the, the first three prizes. Mm-hmm. Third place was Supersonics out of Inkster. Second place was the Five Masters from Detroit. And I said, dang, we don't lost. If, if Five Masters got second place, yeah, we can forget it. So me and Jack, 
who we called Tut. He his nickname was Tut. We backing up in the elevator, getting ready to go up yeah. in our room, depressed and stuff. All of a sudden, sofa, soul basement, Ypsilanti. You know what? Come out of this elevator. You know we yeah. broke out there and got on the stage. And next, you know, you got people. Back in those days, the crowd was so like a roar, like you know, so many people and people reaching up on the stage. You can see the arms and. Wow. You know, and it's, yeah, and for you to be a young teenager to experience these things, you don't hear claps. You hear, you know, we sitting down there taking pictures, you know, they holding their little $500 check with our trophy, and Johnny Lawrence has the trophy. Johnny got all that stuff, and Johnny was just a guitar player. And wow. they really, really, you know, because his dad yeah. was our manager. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I didn't like that. <laughs> I'll just leave it like that. I remember after we won the contest in Detroit uh, at the Fox Theater, yep. we had a big reception at Perry School when we came back because it, it, it was live on the air. Oh, wow. And everybody at Ipsy was hearing it, that live broadcast, and they knew when we came back, we was told they had a big party waiting for us, you know, wow. like a homewarming thing, that, which is at Perry School. Yeah. And at that time, Mr. Beatty, which was the um, principal at Perry School at that time, that was his idea for that little kindergarten yep. thing, you know. He would let us get different rooms to practice in, you know. Yeah. And whereas now it's kind of hard, I don't know why, but it seemed like it should be easier because time has changed and people don't demolish the building like they used yeah. to, you know, or steal the instruments because yeah. yeah. there's certain people you don't let in, you know. What yeah. I mean? But we had a lot of instruments stolen and stuff back in the day. I mean, when you're going through bands and singing you experience that lifestyle and all that goes with it including don't leave your instrument in your car whatever right you know been there. and t including like tc speakies i used to love go there i mean it was fun i mean all kind of musicians better you, you know fat cat ruth you don't know F peter Oh, Mad fat, Cat, Ruth, mad, yeah. the harmonica player. Not fat, what I call him, Fat Cat is Mad Cat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my that, dad was a fan of his. Yeah. That dude could play that harmonica. I was going to get him on one of my recordings, but we couldn't see eye to eye. Oh, okay. So. That's the way it goes. You know, Peter, Peter wasn't no slouch either. I mean, but see, I was one of those guys that knew on the scene that, I don't know. I'd say that maybe a lot of people didn't want to be bothered because I was new, I guess. Yeah. I guess, you know, because I tried to do a lot of this top stuff. I did Michael Jackson and Prince. I gave them their due, you know, because yeah. I, had, I had that range. Right, right. You know, but if I try to do it now, I don't know if I can do that Prince stuff now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I ain't even tried. Don't even want to try, really. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> So the Black Arts Festival. Okay. I had joined this, they had this flyers going around about the summer jobs that are happening in Ipsy, you know, for, and I needed the job because I didn't have no money and my mom, I was a single parent with five kids. And so I'm going for this job, right? And so I see other people that's doing the same thing. Yeah. We're sitting around waiting to get our assignment of our job and the, the lady named Sharon Newton, her name at that time was Sharon Newton, but uh, her maiden name was Meshat or Mashat. Sharon Meshat, she asked me, she says, Hey Lee, you think 
your manager would let y'all come down and play in the field if we had set up a barbecue and try to sell uh, sandwiches and stuff. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know. I said, I could ask him. I, well, she gave me her phone number. She told me to call him. And if so, she called him back or whatever. And I called and asked him. And he said, sure, he, he'll talk to her. So he talked to her. And as you know, we was playing down there at the field. That was the first time. And as that went on, every year after that, we were playing. It became a, like a tradition kind of thing because they didn't have nothing else going on. You know? Yeah. Oh, boy, we sung at least, they had at least many, at least 10 of them. You know what I mean? Because it was a thing, back in the day, they didn't have nothing else. But only thing I didn't like about the musicians around here, they always waited for this thing. You know, and it was nowhere. I mean, what I mean by nowhere, you're in a small town. Yeah. You got a little festival, and that's all y'all want to do? You know, I figured, hey, let's do something else, or you all yeah. want to do, but they never want to rehearse or do anything until the time of the Black Festival. Then they want to oh, okay. up and try to practice. And yeah. It became a tradition thing, and as time went on, all the different groups that I was in, like the Masterpiece, Soulmates, uh, Three Masters Soul, uh, Brotherhood, I was in a, different, a bunch of different singing groups coming up because... If one didn't work, you tried another one. Yeah. This kind of thing. The only thing about that, you always got to take undercut of money because nobody knows your name. Yeah, right. If you guys change your name, you know, the name is the following. You kind of have to start over. Right. So right. you start over, and then you're getting less pay because no one knows you. You got no one heard of the idiots, you know yeah. what I mean, or whatever you want to yeah. call your name, <laughs> you know. So you had to build a following again. So uh, I didn't like that. Until it came to a certain point in my life that I said, okay, I'm going to start being Lee Osler. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I ain't got to change that. You yeah, it's I mean? your name. Right. Yeah, right on. The Lee Osler with your name. Oh, I did that, that yeah, black... later. Okay. okay. Yeah, that came later on at, you know, when we started doing the festivals and parades and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But when I got with the band after we did the song, yeah, we became Lee Osler and the Ipsy City Band. Okay. But the Black Festival basically started when Sharon came to me and asked me that. And around what year was that? 67, I'd say 1967. Oh, wow. So you, so you were pretty young at the time. Yeah, I was like 15 in the Soulmates. Yeah, I'm 66 now. So. Okay. And then throughout the following years, I was with the Soulmates, I'd say roughly like three years, maybe four and then from there with the masterpiece for like three or four years. And then about a year with the three masters or so. And I, I, I fit in other groups like the Brotherhood. They had a guy that was out of town and they asked me to be a part of it. But I had to rehearse, 20, I had to do a show in 24 hours. And I did it. Wow. Because all this rehearsing I did, but I had to remember. I had to remember all these notes. I remember all these words. Some sometimes I write it on my hand, you know, this lead part. I gotta yeah. look at it. Yeah. You know, because yeah. <laughs> I ain't gonna remember all this stuff. You know what I mean? But uh, I did it, even the steps. So it was a challenge. And the guys told me, they said, "Man, we can't believe you did all that." I mean, that was the guys in the Brotherhood. And yeah. These guys were older than me. So, so the Black Art Festival, you you started doing it when you were like fifteen. Mm -hmm. And how, how long did that go on for? 
about 18, let me see, from, no, I'd say probably about 17. Yeah, about a couple of years. But see, Soulmate started when I was yeah. 13, but yeah. we didn't go to, there was no festival there, yeah. you know. So. And those were in the summertime? What? what the, the, the festival happened oh, yeah. in the summer? Yeah, that was summer. That, you know, they didn't have no heritage festival. It was the Black Festival. There was no heritage, nothing. Right. They took it. I'm telling you, yeah, politics. They took the Black Festival, even their spot, that day. That's goes to show you they didn't have no power. I mean, as far as the Black Festival, and they yeah. didn't have no money. And the people, when they did have a little money, somebody is in the pot. So suddenly the money disappeared. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just saying, you know. Yeah. But the, the Heritage Festival started, I'd say, in year... It might have been, it was in the 70s. Because I remember everybody was complaining about they taking our festival. I said, well, they know what they're doing. Eula Tate, she, sat, she was on the city council, mayor pro tem, and she was the head of the black festival. So she was the main one that was, I mean, I don't like, I was sitting in the meetings. I, I knew what was going on, but, you know, I'm just that young guy that, always trying to do music, then nobody paid me no attention, you know. Yeah. A lot of my ideas, they shot down, you know what I mean, but at least I tried. You know how you try to participate? Yeah. That's why I quit doing things, because I never have no, oh, I ain't never have no strong backing. I always had to swim against the current, you know what I mean, and especially in a one-horse town. See, this is a one-horse town, everybody trying to get on the same horse. Yeah. But they try to knock you down, you know what I mean, because... How can I say it? They look at me like I'm the big chief. I ain't never got a penny for the Ypsilanti song. Do you believe that? Not even a royalty check. Never nothing. So what, what kind of places were you playing? Yeah, that, the first time I did the parade, we did the Ipsy, because back in the day they, uh, when they had the Black Festival, it started off on Thursday nights and ended on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And Thursday would be the big parking lot party where everybody danced yeah. at Perry School parking lot. And then from that Friday, Saturday was the main entertainment all day. They had different bands coming from everywhere. And Sunday would be gospel music day, you know, where some people would come up and preach and some people would sing and they had the choirs. But it was on Sundays and they stopped like evening at seven or eight or something like that. But that was at the Southside Perry School field, not down here at Riverside. I always wondered why they never had it at Riverside, but they're starting to do that now. So Yeah. So so you're talking about the Black Arts Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sung there, and, and they had a black parade, too. So I was all down Harriet Street and singing, you know, on the south side, singing the Ypsilanti song. Yep. And then come to the Heritage Festival that morning, because we were there also during the 4th of July. They used to have a parade in 4th. And we sung there in the July and in August in the parade. Okay. Doing the Ipsy song. Because they used to turn, they used to go all the way down the hill, then turn on uh, Riverside, I mean River Street. Well, now they make a left on Huron and oh, go, okay. go down to Depot Town area. But uh, that was my first time being with the band on Michigan Avenue coming down uh, to do the um, Heritage Festival parade. I think that was 80, 83, 84, somewhere around there.
after the soulmates masterpiece and after masterpiece it was three masters of soul it was me and uh, a guy that's a minister elder by the name of marvin miller out of willow run i don't know if you're familiar with him but he does a lot of gospel music and cedric williams again so at this point you're like in high school still no i'm out of school i was like 20. okay 20 years old my first child, me and her mom, we had a house out here on uh, Woodruff Lane off Apple Ridge mm-hmm. and in Willow Run. And um, we used to practice in my garage. And then my girl said we can bring it in to the den. We had a den, and uh, so we bought it in there and bought it out. Then we had people camping out in my driveway with their lawn chairs. Oh, that sounds fun. (laughs) Leaving cigarette butts and bottles and everything like it was a campground, you know. Yeah. And uh, we didn't mind, you know, people, they, you know, as long as they kept it, you know, where's no ruckus. But anyway, I was um, uh, being in, uh, trying to write songs, you know, and oh, I got this melody in my head and blah, 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 and I'm trying to write it down and a lot of people don't take you serious. You know, everybody's laughing or somebody putting it down. Who'd you write the song about Ipsy for? You know, yeah. this kind of stuff. Ipsy ain't, you know. Yeah. And uh, a couple of cuss words and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> but when I walked downtown, cause I was a, um, a big eater of Terry's Bakery. I was okay. there all the time, you know, getting me <laughs> some donuts. <laughs> and I looked at downtown and... It was nothing going on. I mean, there was hardly a car parked on the street. I was like, wow. When, when was this? Uh, I was about, this is in 80, I'd say around 80, 81, 1981, because, you know, after rewrite, 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 because I used to always trying to get the lyrics right and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um Piers was going out of business. They had a store called Piers where I used to shop at to get, you know, men's clothes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They were down here on the corner of Huron in uh, Michigan. I think it was the old Jewish guy that had a, this young black guy that was working for him all the time, but he sold most of the stuff. He was more of a personable person. Mm-hmm. He uh, was standing outside because a lot of times he stand outside until traffic went in his building. Then he'd go in and you know, attend yeah. to the clientele, but uh, I noticed how there was nothing going on in the street. I said, wow, because, I mean, you, you see the newspapers. At that time, they had Ypsilanti Press. Yep. Their own newspaper, and um, they would um, talk about downtown this or politics. I wasn't really into that kind of stuff, but I saw how whatever was happening in the city wasn't good, you know what I mean? And uh, we had famous folks that lived here, uh, people like Mike Bass, who was a football player on the uh, Redskins. He was the one that came in. He he was on defense, and he intercepted a pass, I think, and ran the only touchdown of the Super Bowl. But he was from Ypsilanti. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, and I went to school with his sister. Uh, she was a grade or up for me, uh, Leah Bass. The Bass family, Dr. Bass, was a uh, black prominent doctor here, and his wife was a teacher. In our next episode, which is the second half of this episode, we'll learn about the development of the Back to Ypsilanti song from Mr. Osler. We'll also learn about Lee Osler and the Ipsy City Band and its connections to fundraising to restore the Rutherford Pool in Recreation Park. 
We'll learn about other songs composed by Mr. Osler, including songs for other cities, his musical life after the success of Back to Ypsilanti, and his musical family. A special thank you to Scott Marlowe for all your recording and engineering expertise. Testing, one, two, three. Testing, one, two, three. Testing, one, two, three. Testing. We literally could not have done this without you. Thank you so much to David Jeffries for letting us use Ziggy's as our recording space. Ziggy's is a local music venue located at 206 West Michigan Avenue, basically across the street from the downtown Ypsilanti Library. And thank you also to Washington Osler for all of your support in terms of logistics. A special thank you to Sam Killian for all his work on the Ipsy Stories webpage. We couldn't do it without you, Sam. A special thank you to local musician Annie Palmer for providing music for this podcast. You can check out more of her music at anniepalmermusic.bandcamp.com. Thank you so much for listening to Ipsy Stories. If you liked what you heard today, please consider subscribing and telling your friends and neighbors about this podcast. You can subscribe to Ipsy Stories wherever you find your podcasts. You can also explore previous episodes with additional resources at ipsylibrary.org slash ipsystories. If you have ideas or story suggestions, you can get in touch with me at shoshana at ipsylibrary.org. That's S-H-O-S-H-A-N-N-A at Y-P-S-I l-i-b-r-a-r-y dot o-r-g Thanks for listening and see you next time I'm a going fast I'm a going fast Do it the city hey.